All right, Hotep, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is my founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and, and historian. Yeah, come on in. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, you've seen my social media posts. Uh, one of them got over 1,700 likes on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. It is uh, Thursday, September 8th, 2022. And many of you have sued today. Uh, you've seen the social media post. Queen Elizabeth II of England uh, passed away uh, earlier today. She was 96 years old, 70 years on the throne as a monarch. And so today, because I saw some social media posts from African-Americans and uh, some of our people are so confused and have been taught to see reality through the eyes of Europeans uh, and don't understand history. So uh, on today's episode of the African History Network show, we're going to deal with Queen Elizabeth, British colonialism and hundreds of years of African slavery. Queen Elizabeth, British colonialism and hundreds of years of African slavery. OK, and I, I saw um, now let me let me say this from the start. OK, I don't mean any harm to anybody. I don't mean any harm to Queen Elizabeth II or her family. But they are a bunch of goddamn colonizers. OK, a hundred years ago, one fifth of the world population lived under British rule because they colonized one fifth of the world population. They are colonizers. They're not colonizers because they're white. They're colonizers because their armies went in and conquered people and exploited people and killed them. These are goddamn colonizers. So you, you, you sit up crying over the queen when they colonized Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana. They colonized Jamaica, Barbados, Grenada. There's 54 countries. They colonized India. I don't understand this. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying you should wish or for something bad to happen to them. Karma's going to take care of that. But some of the posts I saw for some of our people today, I'm like, God damn, you didn't take history class. Did you, you didn't take world history? So we're going to deal with some world history today. Now, this, some of the same things that I said back May, May 19th, 2018, when Meghan Markle married Prince Harry, and they, they televised the wedding, and people all around the world saw the wedding and 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 african americans were sitting up crying teary-eyed saying they're in love and i said what the hell does love have to do with this these are colonizers she's i, I said megan markle is marrying into a family of colonizers not colonizers because they're white colonizers because they colonize one fifth of the world population okay some of the same things i said then is what i'm saying today and I went through some of my archives, some of my articles, because proper documentation ends all conversation. 
So that's what we're going to deal with today. Okay. Now I may say some things that are outside the circumference of some people's awareness, just because you disagree with them or don't like them does not mean it's not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what the hell I'm talking about. All right. Share this broadcast on your social media platforms. Advice your friends to tune in. Also, we'll give you um, uh, we'll give you a brief preview of my online course, my eight-week online course that we have starting up. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And if you were sitting up, uh, praying for the queen, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not saying wish something harm, harmful, but if you were posting on social media praying for the queen today. You need to take this class. If you were sitting up teary-eyed watching Meghan Markle marry Prince Harry, you need to take this class. If you have African descent, you need to take this class, but especially if you were doing that, okay? All right, so uh, let's look at this very briefly here, and then we have some articles we're going to get into. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest-serving monarch, has died, NBC News, NBCnews.com. The Queen's eldest son, Charles, is going to be King Charles now. It's now king of the united kingdom and its commonwealth realms okay um queen elizabeth ii whose 70 year reign spanned uh wars a pandemic 14 u.s presidents and the winding down of of britain's vast empire the winding down of britain's vast empire because countries like barbados are leaving the commonwealth and kicking out the queen as as their monarch as as the as the head of their country in jamaica we're going to talk about jamaica because jamaica is about to file for reparations from uh from from great britain as well as they should as barbados should as grenada should as kenya should as nigeria should as ghana should as south africa should and let's not forget that the 13 colonies here that became the united states started out as british colonies 13, the 13 colonies, Virginia and Massachusetts and Connecticut and all of them, they started out as British colonies. August 20th of this year was the 403rd anniversary of what? August 20th, 1619 in Hampton, Virginia. It wasn't Jamestown, it was, it was Hampton, Virginia, Point Comfort, when those 29 Africans came in on two English pirate ships, two English pirate ships, the White Lion and the Treasure. So I don't know what the hell people were crying for. I really don't. Maybe you can explain it to me. I, I, I don't understand this. But anyway, I'm not saying wish harm on anybody, but I'm like, uh, no, let me show you. Okay. So, okay, let's go with this. And I'll show you my social media post that I did today. All right. So the Queen died peacefully at, at Balmora. Uh, this afternoon, blah blah blah. The queen and the king, uh, the the king and the queen consort will remain at Balmoral uh, this this evening and will return to London tomorrow. Okay, whatever. Um, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, that was her third full name, is also survived by her other children, Princess Anne, Prince Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, Prince William, next in line to the throne, and Prince Harry are among her eight grandchildren. She has a dozen great grandchildren. Okay, now uh, tributes for the queen poured in from around the world as soon as the news was announced. Now I was watching MSNBC today. MSNBC they they didn't cover like Black Twitter. They didn't cover what uh, people 
in a lot of these countries that Great Britain colonized, they didn't cover what they were saying. They didn't cover what people in India were saying. They didn't cover what people in Kenya were saying. Things like this. The people, the people who were the subject, the people who were the victims of the atrocities that the English inflicted upon them, they ain't, they, they didn't go to them. Okay. So just just when, if you watch MSNBC, you watch CNN, and you got all you got all these people talk, you know, praising the Queen and England, things like this. They ain't talking to the people who got their asses kicked because Great Britain colonized them and raped them and tortured them. Okay, they ain't talking about that. They ain't talk. They, I, I guarantee you they ain't talk to any descendants of those involved in the Mau Mau Rebellion from 1952 to 56 in Kenya. Okay, when those Africans are fighting for their land against the British, they ain't talk to any of those descendants. So you, so you got to be careful with this because I was sitting up, I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, so is somebody gonna tell the truth? It's like somebody gonna do it like with the real history, you know? So once again. I'm not trying to badmouth anybody, anything like that, but we got to deal with facts and evidence. We got to deal with the real history. Uh, President Joe Biden called uh, Queen Elizabeth a stateswoman and unmatched dignity and constancy and things like this. That's diplomatic. That's what that's what world, world leaders are going to do unless they are at odds because um, Great Britain is the, is the biggest ally of the United States. They're the biggest ally of the United States. Okay, now that's between them. OK, but that Great Britain won't even apologize for slavery because that's something we're going to talk about. Great Britain won't even apologize for slavery. I ain't say pay reparations. I said apologize. Now, you're going to have some people who say, well, Great Britain, they, they, they ended slavery before the U.S. That's true. But they also pay reparations to 46,000 slave owners, British slave owners, 46,000 slave owners. They, they, they ended slavery officially 1834, then they pay reparations to 46,000 British slave owners and then pay reparations to the 800,000 Africans they enslaved. And you want me to give them credit for what? Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. Get out of here with that nonsense. All right. Um, Let's see here. Okay. The Queen's official title spoke to the world she was born into in 1926. Uh, Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Now, the Irish, the, the, uh, the Ireland was a colony of England, uh, I think it was the 18th century. Okay. So, they, the, so the, a lot of the Irish are not praising Queen Elizabeth because Ireland was conquered by Great Britain. Once again, uh, in Northern Ireland and and of her realms and territories, queen, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith. Back then, her country was near the back then. The, the, her country was near the peak of the British Empire, spanning India, swaths of the Caribbean and Africa because they conquered them. They conquered them and they ruled with brutality. Swaths of, of the Caribbean and Africa, Canada and Australia, a territory about equal to the moon's surface. One, what about a hundred years ago, one fifth of the world's population lived under British rule. Okay, and see, one of one of the problems here is with 
with us being a um, a former colony of Great Britain, right? A lot of the a lot of the uh, nursery rhymes and children's stories that we teach our children originally came from England. That's why they're talking about kings and queens and, and King Midas and Cinderella, okay, and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And they're talking about kings and queens and things like this. So our children get indoctrinated with this. We're not teaching them African folklore. We're teaching them Europe. We're teaching them European children's stories that were adapted coming from England, because when you originally studied the, the original stories, a lot of them were like very a lot of them were very violent stories that were toned down and modified and adapted to uh, uh, children's stories. There was an article um, dealing with this. Let's see if we can find this uh, quickly here. There's an article dealing with this. I think it's on the British. Uh, I'll try to I'll try to pull it up. Let's continue. All right, uh, I'll try to pull up uh, something on that. Because I have an article and I just have to put my hands on it. Um, okay, we'll we'll come back to that. I have to I have to find it. This bookmarked. Uh, I just have to see where it is. Okay, let's continue here. Um, okay, so once again, see we see the opulence and things like this here. And a lot of our people don't realize that that opulence was paid for by the exploitation of our African ancestors. And this is some of the stuff that we saw displayed when um, uh, I was about to say when Harry met Sally, but when when Prince Harry married Mary, uh, Meghan Markle on on, on May 19th, uh, 2018. Now, May 19th was the uh, birth date of uh, Queen Charlotte Sophia. Queen Charlotte Sophia was of uh of uh, African Moorish ancestry on her mother's side of the family. She was the queen of England. She was married to King George III. King George III was the king that the 13 colonies are revolting against, okay? Uh, that's Queen Charlotte Sophia. She's also, uh, she was also, I think she was the great grandmother of Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Charlotte Sophia. And then May 19th was also the birth date of uh, one uh, Malcolm X, but I don't think they had the, the wedding on May 19th because of Malcolm X. Now, during her reign, 15 British prime ministers served in her office and she met uh, 13 American presidents, every United States, pre uh, every United States president during her time on the throne, except for Lyndon Johnson, she met with. OK, uh, she is an astonishing person and a real jewel for uh, to the world and not uh, to the and not just the United Kingdom said President Barack Obama uh, when visiting the UK in April 2016. All right. Now world leaders unless they were colonized by them, you know, the US is Great Britain is the US's biggest ally. Uh and that's after two wars. That's after the American Revolutionary War and that's after the War of 1812, 1812 to 1814. Uh, when 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 they went to when the U.S. went to war with the British again. All right, now uh, a lot of this superfluous stuff I'm skipping over. There was a couple of things.
things I wanted to point out. Then we're going to go to the next one. Uh, so, okay, Windsor Castle. All right. Okay, I think I think that's all I wanted in that one. Um, okay, Barbados. So we, we saw November 2021, Barbados had the ceremony. Barbados declared its independence from Great Britain. Okay. Uh, the future of the Commonwealth is also in doubt. This group of 56 member states is seen as a voluntary successor to the British Empire. But recently, there have been calls among its Caribbean members for Britain to pay reparations, for Britain to pay reparations. And the calls are getting louder. And that's something we're going to talk about here. Because in all the coverage that I saw on MSNBC today, nobody brought up paying reparations to these to these nations that uh, Great Britain exploited and raped. People didn't people didn't bring up paying reparations to them. They are praising the queen. She 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 has a she has a net worth of five hundred million dollars, and the monarchy, the 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 the, the Brit the British monarchy is worth uh, about twenty eight billion dollars. Okay, they could cut a check to the uh, uh, they could cut a hundred million dollars to the to the fifty six um, uh, nations member states in the Commonwealth to to start the ball rolling. They, they can do that on their own. They don't have to go through parliament for that. They can do that on their own. I don't mean parliament funkadelic either. Okay. For those just tuning in. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about their form of government. I don't mean parliament funkadelic. Okay. One nation under a groove. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but recently there have been calls among its uh, Caribbean members for Britain to pay reparations because of the crown's historical links with the, with the transatlantic slave trade. Last year, Barbados ditched uh, the British monarch of its head of state and others, including Jamaica and even Australia, have signaled they may one day follow. In Britain, however, the queen's death will be mourned both for her, both for who she was and the era she represented. Okay. Uh, okay, you can read the rest of that. Uh, that's at NBCnews.com. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest serving monarch, has died. All right. So this is what I posted on our Facebook fan page today. Um let me go to this post here. Everybody share this broadcasting and social media platforms. You're not going to see this type of analysis. A lot of a lot of other places. I'm, I'm actually a historian. Uh, so you watch the African History Network show. You know this. Uh, let me see. OK, so this morning or early afternoon, whatever it was, I did a couple of posts dealing with this. Now, the first one uh, I did dealt with. um I saw people, I saw African-Americans posting, saying, uh, praying for the queen, okay? And this is the post that I did. And let me see, can we get this larger? Uh, let's see here. Let's go back. I'll show it on my personal page also. But this is... Um, Let's look at this here. 
this is one of them that this is one post that I did. It says, and I'm trying to blow this up more. All right, let's see. All right here. Stranger. Somebody asked me, Mike Limhotep, are you praying for the queen? I said, for what? Aretha Franklin is already an ancestor. Because Aretha Franklin is my queen. My, my queen is not Queen Elizabeth II. My queen is Aretha Franklin. Okay, so, I mean, pray for the queen for what? That's why, and that's why I'm wearing my shirt. This is from African Liberation Day here in Detroit. This was uh, 40, 46 African Liberation Day, and we were celebrating the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. This is after she passed away. Okay, we were celebrating the Queen of Soul. That's why I, I reached into the back of my closet to pull this shirt out. Okay, because that's 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 the Queen right there. Uh, now the other post that I did today was um, this one here, and this one got over twenty. So 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 this one dealing with the Reef the Franklin. This got two hundred and five likes on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. So if you don't follow us there, you should turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. This one right here, this got 2,400 likes right here. You can see it, 2,400 likes. I said, this is what I posted. I shared this on my personal page and I shared it to my fan page, the African History Network. I said, if you are of African descent, praying for Queen Elizabeth II, you better be praying. You know, This is before she passed away. This is when we got the news this morning that she was gravely ill. If you are of African descent praying for Queen Elizabeth II, you better be praying she gives reparations to the countries Britain colonized before she dies. Because I saw people, I saw African-Americans posting and praying and all this stuff. They ain't saying one word about reparations from the colonizers to, to these nations that Great Britain colonized. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to figure this out and I, I don't, I don't understand this, but uh, no. Okay. So check that out. Share, share that, share that. Um, I guess I should like my own post also, right? Share that on your social media platforms as well. Okay. Now um, I want to go to, I've got a bunch of articles here to get to. So just bear with me. Um, this first one right here, uh, let's deal with some history. I, I was going through when I was looking at um, encyclopedia.com because I wanted to try to consolidate a lot of this stuff, right? I got a ton, I have thousands of articles, but I want to try to consolidate this information. So this is a good piece dealing with um, British colonies, British colonies, okay? And this is from... Uh, encyclopedia.com dealing with the encyclopedia of race and racism and let me see let's pull this up is this uh okay this is it right here and i was looking at some different articles today dealing with some of the history of great britain i was looking at and also uh, i have some information from the usa today dealing with great britain uh paying reparations to the british slave owners as well um, I've got a touch for you all. Also, this type of information, if you want to support the Astro Network, we can def we definitely need your support of 
uh, financial obligations. I'm trying to take care of this week as well. Uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN. Doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, stay afloat. So we have the information uh, right on the homepage of our of our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com theafricanhistorynetwork.com we have the information there uh you scroll down information for the radio show uh sunday 9 p.m 11 p.m eastern standard time then uh cash app paypal also our online classes as well okay you can register for those also okay all right so i want to look at this piece here this is from um encyclopedia.com which is a really really good resource i got a ton of information from them uh that's just one of the one of the sources i use this deals with africa british colonies um and part of this deals with the history of british colonial the history of british colonial rule and if we look at this I increase the size of it because i want to make sure you can see it okay um so let's look at this part here colonial by its very nature has racist connotations colonialism by its very nature has racist connotations and i'm in, i'm going to the size of this because people are going to look at look at this on different devices some will have smartphones some will have tablets some will be on a big computer screen so i'm going to increase the size because i'm going to make sure everybody can see this okay colonialism by its very nature has racist connotations British colonialism in particular was structured as a dictatorship using violence to pacify the colonial subjects and to maintain order. Using violence to pacify the colonial subjects and to maintain order. Now today in all the flowing, all the flowery, all the ceremonial, uh, 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 pomp and circumstance, all that stuff you heard about Queen Elizabeth, did you hear about the brutality of colonialism, which is how they got all that wealth that you saw displayed today? Did they talk about that on MSNBC and CNN? They definitely not going to, I don't think they're going to talk about it on Fox News. Okay? Headline news. Wherever you got your news from, local, the local news is not going to deal with that. There was no input from the colonized in the way that they were governed the british colonial office in london made all the decisions concerning the colonies the british also tended to choose a preferred ethnic group over all the others entries that they colonized the british also tended to choose a preferred ethnic group over all the others in the countries they colonized these preferred groups, usually usually a conservative minority within the country, were, uh, were supported to the extent that they worked against the interests of their fellow Africans. Now, in all the stuff that you read about today and heard on cable news and heard on TV, did anybody talk about this? Some, you, you know... One term they may use is house Negroes, right? This is this is how Great Britain 
got what you saw displayed today. And when they have the funeral, okay, when they when they have the funeral and they're gonna have all the carriages out there and everybody in their uniforms, all that. This is this is why if if you've been watching my show for if you've been watching my show for a few years, and if you saw the broadcast it when Meghan Markle with Prince Harry, and I said she's married to a family of colonizers. And people, especially African-American women, women were saying they're in love. My response was, what does love got to do with this? We're, we're talking about understanding history and white supremacy and racism. Their prefer, these preferred groups, usually a conservative minority within the country, were supported to the extent that they worked against the interests of their fellow Africans. For example, the British chose the Arab minority to lord it to lord it over the majority Africans in the Sudan and favored the Fulani in Nigeria. So what they're doing is causing conflict between different groups of African people by pitting one group of African people against another group of African people. The British preferred the ethnic societies with dictatorial and hierarchical systems like their own and they recruited members of these ethnicities in disproportionate numbers into the colonial military so in in great in, in india they have a caste system in india that's still there today that comes from the them being colonized by the british So a caste system, meaning that you're locked into a certain group based based upon um, complexion, uh, ethnicity, things like this. OK. Um, and that comes from when they were conquered by the British and lived under British rule. At independence, these soldiers. So when, when these different nations gain their independence from Great Britain, these soldiers often staged coups and removed the democratically elect civilian governments of these countries that gained their independence from Great Britain. Like, well, that's the Congo, Belgian Congo. This is the same thing with Patrice Lumumba. But well, uh, we look at Ghana with Kwame Nkrumah and, and, him, and him being overthrown. And the CIA was involved in that. CIA was involved in uh, uh, Congo also. Historical history of British colonial rule in Africa. History of British colonial rule in Africa. It is important to note that the advent of the British, it, it is important to note that the advent of British colonization of Africa coincided with the era of scientific racism as represented by social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. So the concept of race is evolving over the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. And um, you, it's evolving, and you have people like Dr. Carl von Linnaeus, who uh, in the uh, 1700s, in about the 1770s, he stratifies humanity into uh, different categories, into races. And then in uh, Dr. Uh, 
free uh dr um uh blumenbach johann friedrich friedrich blumenbach dr johann friedrich blumenbach who was the uh uh, chair of the history department at the University of Göttingen in Germany. He stratified, he, he coins the term Caucasian in 1779. Okay, Blumenbach. And he he named them after the uh, uh, the Georgians who lived near the Caucasus Mountains. He said the Georgians were the most beautiful people in the world. They lived near the Caucasus Mountains. Okay. And he stratified humanity into about four different about four different races also and they are attributing um attributes characteristics to these different races and some of the characteristics are negative characteristics but they they didn't do it based a any scientific method okay and this is this is going to help shape racism now racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy. Okay. And this is for a purpose of preserving genetic white survival on, 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 on a, a planet that's less than 10% European. So you have uh, British colonization of Africa taking place around the same time that you have Darwinism being pushed and survival of the fittest. And you have the concept of race being solidified. The concept of race evolves over a 300 year period of time. Now, the, uh, the British believed that because they had superior weaponry and were therefore more technologically advanced than the Africans, that they had the, that they had the right to colonize and exploit the resources of Africans in the name of promotion. Now, this is this is a kind of this is like a, a manifest destiny on steroids. Okay, so if you take my online history classes, especially the one um, uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, eighteen sixty-five to nineteen sixty-eight, we talk about manifest destiny, eighteen forty-five. Uh, uh, John O'Sullivan, and this is the year before the Mexican-American War starts, which is 1846 to 1848. And you have you have Europeans here, especially the, the United States. They want to take over the entire North American continent. And um, Manifest Destiny was basically their ideology that uh, their divine right to be able to expand and take over people's lands and things like this should not be prohibited, should not be interrupted, okay? This is uh, manifest destiny. Well, you have this, you have that type of concept. We can see that type of concept going back to the, to the uh, mid to late 1400s with Christopher Columbus, with the Portuguese and Anton Gonzalez in 1441 going into Mauritania. And the Portuguese are the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. Uh, and then the Spanish are right behind them because Spain and Portugal are right next to each other. All right. Now, uh, that they have the right to colonize and exploit the resources of the Africans in the name of promoting civilization, but isn't but it is inherently contradictory for an invading force to usher in civilization. People don't come invade you, conquer you, kill you, rape your women, enslave you to bring you civilization. 
No, that's 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 that, that's what they that's what they tell the Pope. That's what they go tell their people. Oh, we're 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 going in to bring them. We're going to save them. We're going to save their souls. We're we're going to bring them civilization. You you got to kill people to bring them civilization. How civilized is that? Now Britain had many colonies in Africa. Okay, in 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 British West Africa, there was Gambia, there was there was Ghana, there was Nigeria, there was southern cameroon and sierra leone in british east africa there was kenya there was uganda there was tanzania formerly tanganyika and zanzibar and in british south africa there was south africa azania mawini mutapa because it, it was the british and the goddamn dutch that raped south africa you have uh, Northern Rhodesia, which is which is Zambia, and Southern Rhodesia, which is Zimbabwe. Uh, Nyasaland, which is Malawi, Lesotho, Botswana, and Swaziland. Okay, this is all Great Britain. So when I see African Americans. sitting up crying praying for the queen i'm like did you pray for these africans that got killed trying to defend their land from great britain and queen elizabeth let's look at this list again i have a um let me bring up the map because i have um i have one of the maps we use in class also um we're going to do it like this here uh, let's see. Let me bring. Hold on. Let me bring up the map of Africa. Just a second. And this is um, this is good. And I think this is the map right after the Berlin Conference of 1884, with these Europeans to divide up Africa and uh, and carve up Africa. Uh, let's see here. Which map? Which map we want to use? We've got. Um, Okay, let me see how the um, PowerPoint looks. Let's pull this up. Just a second. Just give me a second here. Because I've got to do, I've got to uh, do like the job of two or three people. Okay, we've got that. And Got, uh, okay, let's look at this here for the sake of time. Okay, hopefully y'all can see this. And let me see. I was trying to see if um, which map was I using? Just a second. Oh, I think this is uh, okay. We'll use this one. We'll use this one. World African map. This 
this would be easier to see. Trying to find the one that we use uh, in class, but I can't get to it right now. So, okay, let's try this here. Okay, so the countries are, if I can get this ad to close out. All right, so the countries are, um, you have uh, Nigeria and Sierra Leone in uh, the colonies in uh, British West Africa. Okay, British West Africa. So we're looking at uh, here's Guinea. Uh, okay, Gambia, Senegal, right here. Senegal, Gambia, this area right here. They're gonna drive me crazy with these goddamn ads. Um, okay, hopefully y'all can see this. All right, good. You, you should be able to see this. So Gambia here in the red. Ghana. Ghana right here. Ghana. Okay, we see Liberia. But Ghana, Liberia wasn't colonized by Great Britain. That was founded by uh, the U.S. right around 1821 in the American Colonization Society. Okay, we had Nigeria. Right here, Nigeria. Okay right near Togo, uh, South Cameroon. We see Cameroon right in here. We see Guinea and Cameroon, okay? These are all, they were all colonies of Great Britain, okay? All colonies of Great Britain. You've got um, Sierra Leone, then in uh, Sierra Leone's over here, right near Guinea, okay? So we see around the west coast of Africa, we see Senegal, Gambia, Guinea, Sierra Leone, all, all that, those were all British colonies, okay? And then we see Ghana also uh, and Nigeria. British East Africa, we go over here, Nile Valley region, East Africa, we see Kenya, we see Uganda, okay? Right here, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, okay, uh, Malawi as well, British uh, South Africa, you have South Africa, and then down here you have Lesotho, 
which is a country inside of South Africa. It's an enclave of South Africa, Lesotho. Uh, you've got uh, Zambia, which was northern Rhodesia, Zambia. You've got southern Rhodesia, which is which is Zimbabwe. Malawi, okay, Botswana, Botswana, and Swaziland as well, which is right here, Swaziland, okay? Britain, so all those were colonies of Great Britain. And they inflict brutality on them to keep them colonized. Now, Britain had a strange and unique colonial history with Egypt. The Sudan, formerly known as Anglo-Egyptian Sudan. Sudan's right up uh, Egypt here. Sudan's right below here. Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia. Okay, right here. Okay. So, in ancient times, the lower portion of Kemet or Egypt and the upper portion of Sudan, that was Nubia or Ta-Nehisi. Nubia is a Greek word. Nuba meaning gold. So Tanahesi, okay. Um, it can be uh, land of the bow. Um, because they were great archers. Uh they had uh Seti, land of the bow, and uh Tanahesi. Okay, you'll hear both terms used for them. Okay, so uh Sudan, okay. Uh, Anglo-Egyptian Sudan. The Sudan, formerly known as Anglo-Egyptian Sudan, was jointly ruled by Egypt and Britain because they had jointly colonized Sudan. They had jointly colonized the area. Okay. The, uh, the joint colonial administration of the Sudan by Egypt and Great Britain was known as the condominium government, the condominium government, like condominium that you live in. The British system of government affected the type of racial or ethnic problems that all Britons, uh, that all of Britain's African colonies had during the colonial period. The immediate post-colonial period and from the 1980s until the 21st century. So these, these African nations that Great Britain got because of the Berlin Conference of 1884 in Berlin, Berlin, Germany, where these African nations, I mean, these, these uh, European nations, Great Britain and France and uh, Spain and, in uh, Belgium, things like this. They're going to carve up Africa into colonies. And what they do is, is they, they redraw the uh, boundaries of these African nations, these geographical boundaries. They redraw them around the areas have the uh, natural resources that these different European nations want. Okay. So if we look at this, this is from uh, Britannica.com and I've got to, I've got to get another subscription to Britannica. They give me, cause I had a subscription to Britannica. I paid them back in April. I can't, I don't know what happened to my subscription. So I got to get another one from Britannica. I pay them each month, Britannica.com. 
these are all services wall street wall street journal washington post new york times all these i'm not monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis and some of these sources are paid you know paid subscriptions so i've got to get another subscription to britannica.com but anyway berlin conference okay 1884 and i don't know if i can close out this ad but right here berlin west africa conference a series of conferences, November 15th, 1884 through February 26, 1885 at Berlin, um, Berlin, Germany, in which the major European nations met to decide all questions connected with the Congo River Basin in Central Africa. OK, uh, the conference proposed port. Let me see. OK, Great Britain. OK. The, con the conference proposed by Portugal in pursuance of its special claim to control the Congo uh, estuary uh, was necessitated by the jealous and jealousy and suspicion with which the great European powers uh, view one another's attempts at colonial expansion in Africa. The general act of the Conference of Berlin declared the Congo River Basin to be neutral, an act uh, that in no way deterred the Allies from extending the war into the area of World War One, which is 1914 to 1918, guaranteed freedom for trade. Uh, blah blah blah. Okay, now uh, let me see here. Congo. Free state. Okay, that's not what I want. Hold on. I've got some other stuff. Just a second here. There was one from uh, thought.com. I think that I just saw here. Because there's uh, one article I just saw. Hold on. Let me pull this one up. This one right here. This is a this is a good article here from uh, thought.com. The Berlin Conference to Divide Africa. The Berlin Conference to Divide Africa. We'll look at this one here. How's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast, please. And share this with your friends. Okay. Also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign. PayPal, paypal.me forward slash day. And we'll post the link here as well so you can register for the online class that I teach. We have a bundle pack where you can register for both online classes. Uh, we have them on $130. And we do them online. You don't have to be present in the class. Even after the course is over with, you still have access to the full class. You can go back and watch it um, anytime. All right. Let's see here. Let's see here. Okay, if we look at this article here. Hold on. 
All right. So Berlin described um, by uh, Hiram J. Uh, DeBly in geography realms, regions, accepts. The Berlin Conference was uh, Africa's undoing in more ways than one. The colonial powers superimposed their domains on the African continent by the uh, by the time independence returned to Africa in 1950, the uh, realm had acquired a legacy of political fragmentation that could neither be eliminated nor made to operate satisfactorily. Okay, now, purpose of the Berlin Conference. In 1884, at the request of Portugal, German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck called together the major Western powers of the world to negotiate questions and end confusion over the control of Africa, okay? To negotiate questions and, um, and end confusion and end confusion over the control of Africa. So what's happening is, is that these European nations, okay? So, so, so it's important to understand this history. These groups of Europeans used to be called barbarians. And this is nothing racist or anything like that. You got to understand history. You go back before the, um, you go back before like 1000 AD and you go back to uh, uh, before the time of the fall of the Western portion of the Roman Empire in 476 AD when the Vandals and the Visigoths, these two groups of vicious barbarians, crushed the Western portion of the Roman Empire. And this is largely what sends Europe into what's known as the Dark Ages, where you have hundreds of years of civil war and famine and disease and things like this, okay? So the Anglos, the Saxons, the Jutes, the, Lund the Lombards, the Picts, the Alans, the Franks, the Vandals, the Visigoths, all these different groups of barbarians, okay, who organized themselves into different kingdoms. They're fighting each other in Europe, okay? You see the movie Braveheart, and you see it's about the, um, uh, about the English oppressing the, uh, I think it's the Scottish, okay? Uh, the movie Braveheart, okay? You, see, you, you have all these all this conflict between these different groups of barbarians. If you go to history.com official website of the history channel and you search for barbarians, they have a, um, there was a multi-part series they did back in maybe 2008, 2009, something like that on these different groups of barbarians. Then they had a, um, then they had a series called barbarians rising around 2016 that dealt with 700 years of conflict uh, in the Roman Empire and in, in wars and attacks on the Roman Empire as well, all right? So these groups, these groups of barbarians will organize themselves into kingdoms and then organize themselves into nations. France, the, Fra the Franks, organized France, the Anglos and the Saxons organized England, and England is named after the Anglos. 
So when you hear the term Anglo-Saxon, that's referring to two groups of barbarians. Germanic people is another term for them, but originally these are two groups of barbarians. Okay. Um, the, you have the Germans and things like this. So these people who had been fighting and killing each other for hundreds of years organized themselves into nation. Those nations are going to continue to fight and kill each other for hundreds of years. Okay. So then when you have the transatlantic slave trade taking place and you have conquering of these nations, Jamaica, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Panama, Grenada, uh, um, Barbados, Bermuda, these different island nations in the Caribbean, things like this, these different European nations who have been fighting and killing each other for hundreds of years, now they're conquering these different lands and then they're fighting each other over these. So um, um, Jamaica falls into the hands of the British after being conquered originally by the Spanish. The, the 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 French take control of the western portion of the western third of the island of Hispaniola. That's where Haiti is. They take over that from the Spanish in 1697. Because when we look at go to a couple of slides from the from the um, from the class, the first class that I teach, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? If we look at where Christopher Columbus goes on his four voyages, okay? And see, these, these, these nations have never recovered from what happened to them from the colonialism, all right? And the, the Spanish were the... Uh, Second ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. The uh, Portuguese are going to be the first ones. Okay, the Spanish are the second ones. Okay, so Columbus is is financed by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. He set sail on the first of four voyages, August third, fourteen ninety two. He set sail on the Nina and the Penta and the Santa Maria. They go into the Bahamas, which he calls San Salvador. They go into Cuba. Cuba hasn't been right since they were conquered over 500 years ago. Hispaniola. Okay. So Hispaniola, that's where you have the Dominican Republic and you have Haiti, that island. All right. Um, and then in uh, 1493, he goes into the West Indies. He goes into Boriquin, what we call Puerto Rico, and Jamaica. Jamaica, 1494. Jamaica is going to be taken over by the uh by the uh, british in 1655 the british take over uh jamaica from the spanish and these same europeans who started out as barbarians fighting and killing each other are going to fight and kill each other over these island nations that they're conquering and then they're going to fight and kill each other for uh parts of africa and they have been fighting and killing each other for so long that they just come and say, look, Africa is large enough for us to carve it up into colonies so we can all rape Africa and get the mineral wealth that we want from, from it and we can stop fighting and killing each other. So this is what the Berlin Conference of 1884 is. 
So Trinidad, May 1498, Trinidad in uh, Venezuelan mainland, then Panama and Honduras in 1504. These are all uh, islands and nations that Christopher Columbus conquers on behalf of Spain. And then these other European nations are going to fight over these lands. And then they're conquering other lands. Uh, Barbados, things like this. We know um, uh, Barbados, uh, that's Great Britain. That's about 1616. Barbados. Okay. And then at the same time, well, a lot of people don't understand, the Spanish are also here in this land we call the United States of America. Juan Ponce de Leon, the Spanish conquistador. He conquers Florida in 1513. He comes into Florida with an African from West Africa named Juan Garrido, who was born in West Africa about 1480. Then you have um, uh, Nico, okay, who's of African descent in 1528. He's in the, uh, uh, down in the Florida area, New Mexico, somewhere down there. And then you have um, 1526. 1526, the Spanish try to set up a settlement. They try to set up a permanent settlement in the South Carolina, Georgia area. And that settlement fails. They're bringing Africans into that area. That settlement fails because those Africans are going to ride over their oppressors. Okay. Now, this is 93 4, 1619. How is it that we don't? How is it that we don't hear about uh, 1526? This is 93 years for 1619. 1619 is important. But you got to you understand that the Spanish were here in this land before the British get involved in the transatlantic slave trade because the, the British get involved in, in, in 1562 with uh, Sir John Hawkins, okay? In the good ship Jesus, 1562. Well, the Spanish have already been involved in the transatlantic slave trade. Okay, before 1619, there was 1526. The mystery of the first enslaved Africans in what became the United States. Spanish explorers brought 100 uh, slaves to a doomed settlement in South Carolina or Georgia, that South Carolina, Georgia area, within weeks. The subjugated revolted, then vanished. Okay, so this is so when I hear people say, "Oh, we first came to this land 1619." Number one, African people have been here for tens of thousands of years. Okay, when you read, you um, uh, look at the work from uh, Dr. David M. Dr. David M. Hotep, who's a friend of mine, wrote the book "The First Americans Were Africans: Documented Evidence." Um. There's evidence of Africans being here ten, going back tens of thousands of years. We were here at least 51,700 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean slavery didn't exist. That doesn't mean slavery didn't happen. It just means we were here for tens of thousands of years before the transatlantic slave trade happened. You can't, we can't start studying our history in 1441 or 1455, uh, you know, with the Papal Bull of 1455 or in 1526 or 1555 or 1619 we can't start still 1562 with uh sir john hawkins you got to go back and study thousands of years of history that leads up to that taking place 
So when you read the first Americans were Africans documented evidence, but Dr. David M. Hotep in his, in his follow-up book, the first Americans were Africans revisited, you get some of this thousands of years of history before the transatlantic slave trade took place. So we have to understand this history chronologically. And if, if African people, if African Americans could understand that this was our land stolen from us. And one of the names of this land was Turtle Island. This was our land stolen from us. We were here before Native Americans even came into existence. We were here in this land before Native Americans even came into existence because existence, because Native Americans are the offspring of an intermixing between um, Africans who were already here, like the Khoisan, and Asians who come here around 3000 BC. And the Africans and Asians intermix in their offspring are who we call Native Americans because a lot of uh, I mean, like you look at um, a lot of, um, uh, of early black and white pictures of Native Americans. These were a dark skinned people. These were not the very light skinned, almost white looking Native Americans that you see today. They were very dark skinned people. And then also you're going to have groups of Africans who are already here who get reclassified as Native Americans by European settlers. Captain John Smith in, in Jamestown, 1607, he talks about being captured by a group of black Indians. Dr. David M. Hotep deals with this in his book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. But at a campsite in Allendale County, South Carolina, in uh, 2004, Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an who's a, uh, archaeologist from the University of South Carolina, uh, they discovered uh, 13 different types of evidence thoroughly documenting an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints in lava, genetic M17D, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetic genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools. They found 13 different types of evidence thoroughly documenting an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is, okay, so if African people were the first people on earth and we know African people had already circumnavigated the globe, are we to believe that we went everywhere except come here? And, and Europeans who we taught beat us here. Because when the more, when the Moors go into the Iberian Peninsula in 711 AD. They take in nautical instruments. And the nautical instruments that Columbus uses to sail are based upon Moorish technology. One of them is called an astrolabe, maybe pronounced astrolabe or astrolab. It's based upon Moorish technology. So, so we're so we're to believe that Europe, so, so we were here on the planet first. We taught the Europeans how to sail. We taught them how to navigate. But they came here to the land we call North America before we came here. And we were on the planet thousands of years before them. And we, we circumnavigated, circumnavigated the globe. We went everywhere except North America. And they came here with nautical instruments based upon technology that we gave them. Okay, let's continue here. All right, now, how's everybody doing? How you all like this type of information? Uh, I want to go back to this article here dealing with the Berlin Conference. Okay, so in 1884, at the request of Portugal, 
German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck called together the major Western powers of the world to negotiate questions and in confusion over the control of Africa. Otto von Bismarck appreciated the opportunity to expand Germany's sphere of influence over Africa and hope to force Germany's rivals to struggle with one another for territory. At the time of the conference, 80% of Africa remained under traditional and local control. At the time of the conference in 1884, 80% of Africa remained under uh, traditional and local control. What ultimately resulted was a hodgepodge of geometric boundaries that divided Africa into 50 irregular countries. This new map of the continent was superimposed over 1,000 indigenous cultures and regions of Africa. Now, nobody there was at the conference representing Africa. Nobody, nobody there at the conference was representing Africa and Africa's interests. These were all Europeans. The new countries, and so so once again, they carved Africa up into colonies, redraw, redrew the boundaries. They draw the boundaries around the areas that have the natural resources that these respective European nations want. The new countries lacked rhyme or reason and divided coherent groups of people and merged together disparate groups who really did not get along. Okay, and so here's a, a map after the Berlin Conference. Map of Africa after the Berlin Conference, it's hard to see. Countries represented at the Berlin Conference. 14 countries were represented by a plethora of ambassadors, when the conference opened in Berlin on November 15, 1844, the countries represented at the time included Austria-Hungary, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Great Britain, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal, Russia, Spain, Sweden, Norway, uh, Sweden-Norway unified from 1814 to 1905, Turkey, and the United States of America. Of these 14 nations, France, Germany, Great Britain, and Portugal were the major players in the conference, controlling most of colonial Africa at the time. We saw what Great Britain got, all those African nations they got. Okay, so, uh, okay, read the rest of this here. This is at thought.com, thought uh, thoughtco.com. The Berlin Conference to Divide Africa, the colonization of the continent by Europeans, the Berlin Conference to Divide Africa. Okay, so when we look at uh, Great Britain and all the opulence that they showed today and they, they showed decades and we saw chariots and we saw things out of storybooks, didn't it? It looked like you were reading uh, Cinderella or something like that, right? Those African nations that they conquered and colonized and exploited and raped, this is where they got some of that money from. This is where they got some of that money from. 
Okay, now let's go back to this one here. And um, let's post this here. I want to go back to the piece here on uh, Great Britain and Africa, colonial Africa. All right. And for some reason, it separated this tab. I don't know why I did this. Just a second here. Okay. Uh, let's go to this one here. Let's go back to this. encyclopedia.com this is from encyclopedia and racism this is dealing with great britain okay so we looked at the different uh nations that great britain got the berlin conference and uh let's see the british system of government affected the type of racial or ethnic problems that all of britain's african colonies had during the colonial period the um, immediate post-colonial period and from the 1980s into the 21st century, from the 1980s into the 21st century. So these African nations never recovered from slavery and they never recovered from colonialism. Uh, okay, pre-colonial racial and ethnic relations in British colonial Africa. Pre-colonial racial and ethnic relations in British colonial Africa. Ethnic rivalries were not serious in pre-colonial Africa. The majority of ethnic nations lived in their independent small polities. They were, however, some large conquering empires. The Bugandan Empire in Uganda the Zulus in South Africa, the Mwini Mutapa uh, Empire of the Shona people in Zambia or Great Zimbabwe, the Benin Empire, the kingdoms of Yoruba, I, uh, Ife, Oyo, and uh, Ibadan, the Ashanti in Ghana, the Fulani Empire in Northern Africa, which even tried to extend into regions of Sierra Leone, the uh, Kanem-Bornu uh, Empire around uh, the Lake, Ch Lake Chad area of northern Nigeria and the uh, Igbo of southeastern Nigeria who lived in small uh, democratic states with the few exceptions of some representative monarchies. But things changed with the British Empire's entrance into Africa. Okay, uh, uh, okay, we're, we're going to look at this briefly because this is eight pages when I printed out. I just want to look at a few key things here. You can read the rest of it. Types of British colonial rule in Africa. Types of British colonial rule in Africa. The British employed various systems of governance in Africa in, in the African colonies. So you have three main, uh, four main types that they lay out: uh, trading companies, indirect rule the settler rule um, and uh, condominium, go condominium government, okay? 
trading companies indirect rule the settler rule and then the unique joint rule of the sudan with egyptians known as the condominium government now if we look at trading companies because these european nations are going to organize themselves in the trading companies the dutch west india company the dutch east india company the brandenburg company the royal company uh the, the royal british company and they're backed by royalty they're backed by people wealth and power they're financed by european banks okay and these were uh trading uh, these were uh slave trading companies and then you're going to have these uh companies after uh colonialism also i'm sorry after slavery also now in the early years of colonialism britain granted private companies large territories to administer in Africa. Companies such as the United African Company and United Trading Company in West Africa, the Imperial British East Africa Company and the British South Africa Company were formed by business persons who were interested only in exploiting and plundering the rich natural resources of the territories of Africa that were allowed that they were allowed to govern illiterate african leaders were conned into signing over their sovereignty to the british now they can read their uh traditional languages they may be able to read arabic things like this but they couldn't read english the british government provided charters for these companies but the companies themselves paid for the expenses incurred in establishing and administering the colonies to support their administrations. The companies set up their own systems of taxation and labor recruitment. The Imperial British East Africa company founded in 1888 colonized Kenya for Britain ruling there until 1893, the British South Africa company, established in 1889 under the master of genocide cecil john rhodes who the rhodes scholar is named after um used excessive force and coercion to colonize and rule nyasa land which is present-day malawi uh present-day zambia which was northern rhodesia present-day zimbabwe which is southern rhodesia the company reigned over these colonies until 1923. None of these private companies were very profitable, so the British government eventually took them over. Company rule on behalf of Great Britain was very harsh on the Africans as the companies practiced an apartheid-like system during their rule. In spite of the numerous blunders, of these companies in running colonies in Africa, the British government allowed most of them to rule for a very long time. Interested only in making profits, the companies were ill-suited to administer territories or colonies, and they found that doing so was neither easy nor profitable. To increase their profit margins, they employed racist and draconian policies. Unfortunately, the adverse policies they enacted were continued when the British government took over administration of the colonies. Unfortunately, the adverse policies they enacted were continued when the British 
government took over administration of the colonies. These policies had far-reaching effects that lasted into the post-colonial period. All right. Um, okay, so read the rest of this here. It gets into indirect rule, settler rule, all that. But it deals with how Great Britain colonized Africa and the atrocities that were inflicted. Um, if we look here, indirect rule, the brainchild of the British colonial administrator, Frederick Lugard, became the main system the British used to administer their African colonies. The British used African traditional rulers to work on behalf of, of the work, to work on their behalf and help subjugate their fellow Africans. Although these Africans were nominally ruling, the actual decisions rested with the British colonial officers. Okay, Lugard first experimented with indirect rule in northern Nigeria, where the Fulani established the Sokoto Caliphate and Emarship. As the system seemed to have worked in northern Nigeria, Lugard exported the system to southern Nigeria, where it failed woefully in the Igbo areas of eastern Nigeria. Still, Lugard took the system to East Africa, where it, where it again failed. Lugard wrongfully believed that all African societies were monarchies and that those that were not could become so with the establishment of chiefdoms. In West Africa, the British had no pretensions about their attitude toward their colonies and colonial subjects. Britain did not want to be paternalistic like the French colonialists, and it did not practice the assimilation policies of the French. Thus, Britain did not attempt to make English persons out of the Africans, as the French did, because some of the French, some of the some of the Af some of the uh, Europeanized Africans who were colonized by the French are more French than the French. Thus, Britain did not attempt to make English persons out of the Africans. Although the British claimed that they used the indirect rule system because they wanted to preserve their colonies, colonies, indigenous cultures, the main reason was to minimize the cost of running the colonies while at the same time maximizing the exploitation of the resources. The main reason was to minimize the cost of running the colonies while at the same time maximizing the exploitation of the resources. Great Britain ended up inventing new cultures for its colonies, thereby destroying the indigenous African cultures. The British created new, leader, new leaders or chiefs who were invariably corrupt and who did not have the mandate of the Africans and were consequently not respected by the people they governed. Thus the strategy more often than not failed woefully as in Igbo land in Nigeria. Okay, so read the rest of this here. 
Uh, then they talk about the, the British colonialism in Nigeria as well. There were numerous massacres of minorities. These episodes of genocide have continued into the early 21st century. Okay, so check that out. That's uh, at encyclopedia.com, and that is Africa, British colonies. That's from um, Encyclopedia Race and Racism. All right, now let's continue here. Okay, how you all like this type of information? Let's continue. Okay, I want to go to this uh, next piece, and I'll give you some information also. You can so you can register for the um, eight week online history classes that I teach as well. All right, so some of you may have heard that. Uh, Great Britain paid reparations to its uh, slave slave owners, to its slave owners, okay? And let's look at this here. This is in um, Panica.com, Sir John Hawkins. Let's look at this briefly here and look at Great Britain getting into the transatlantic slave trade because they get involved in 1562. Okay, this is from Britannica.com, Sir John Hawkins, Sir John Hawkins. Um, so he dies in, he's born in 1532, Plymouth, England, dies November 12, 1595. Probably in Puerto Rico. So he was a, a, a kinsman to uh, Sir Francis Drake. And he began his career as a merchant in the Africa, in the African trade. So he's involved in the, in the he's involved in enslaving Africans. A kinsman of Sir Francis Drake, Hawkins begins his career as a merchant in the African trade and soon became the first English slave trader soon became the first English slave trader by carrying slaves from African slaves, Africans from Guinea, he enslaved them. Okay. They take slaves out of Africa. They took African people out of Africa, but by carrying Africans from Guinea in West Africa to the Spanish West Indies, he provoked conflict with the Spaniards who did not allow unauthorized foreigners to trade with their colonies because he didn't hold the asiento, the asiento de negros, which is issued by King Charles V in 1518. Uh, and he was the king of Spain at the time, 1518. So this is after King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. Now, Sir John Hawkins' first uh, slave trading voyage in 1562-1563 on behalf of a syndicate, syndicate of London merchants was so profitable that a more prestigious group, including Queen Elizabeth I, who's a relative of Queen Elizabeth II, provided the money for a uh, second expedition, 1564-1565. His third voyage with Sir Francis Drake in 1567 
1569, however, ended in disaster after selling the slaves in, uh, in the Caribbean. John Hawkins was forced by needed repairs and lack of water to refuge at uh, San Juan uh, de Ula near Veracruz, Mexico. A Spanish fleet attacked him in the harbor and of the six of the six ships, only the two commanded by Hawkins and Drake were able to escape. This episode marked the beginning of the long quarrel between England and Spain that eventually led to open war in 1585. Now, these Europeans, once again, have been fighting each other for hundreds of years before 1585, before uh, John Hawkins was ambushed. And then we're going to see, like, Great Britain take Jamaica from Spain in 1655. So we're going to see these Europeans keep fighting one another. And then these Europeans kept fighting one another in World War One and World War Two. So this has been going on for over a thousand years. Probably more like 1500 years or so 15 uh yeah more like about 1500 years okay john hawkins soon avenged himself by gaining the confidence of spain's ambassador to end he learned the details of a conspiracy the so-called Rodolfi plot of 1571 in which english roman catholics with uh Spanish assistants were to depose Queen Elizabeth I and install Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots, on the English throne. John Hawkins notified his government, and the English plot and the English plotters involved were arrested. In 1577, John Hawkins succeeded his father, his father-in-law, uh, Benjamin Gonson, as treasurer of the navy. Later, 1589, he was to assume the additional duties of controller. Okay. All right. So read the rest of this. This is about Sir John Hawkins, but this deals with um, Great Britain entering into the transatlantic slave trade in 1562, 1563. Okay. They come to it later on, but they're going to dominate. The Portuguese dominate for the first 200 years from about um 1441 to about 1640 the the great britain is going to dominate and they're going to be the ones who really champion what's known as the triangular trade as well okay now um let's look at this here this deals with great britain paying uh reparations to uh, slave owners and i'll show you a couple articles dealing with how great britain doesn't need britain doesn't even want to have the conversation dealing with uh reparations they don't even want to have that conversation okay now this is from usa today and the article is from um uh, june 30 of 20. okay we'll go to that in just a second 
Okay, who still needs to register for the online history uh, that I teach? Uh, this class is going to be on Thursday, 7 p.m. to uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have a special session of the class uh, this Saturday, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. So the class is on sale, $80, directly $130. And uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. Um, even after the course is over with, you still have full access. You can watch it. So I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So if you go to our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, the information is right on the homepage. Uh, next, the next session is going to be this Saturday, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's normally, normally Thursdays. But uh, we're doing a special session this Saturday, um, September 10th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we have the information here. You can register here for it. Just click register here. And then uh, also Tuesday, September 13th, the second class that I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we deal with history from uh, 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase and the Haitian Revolution through to the Civil War uh reconstruction era 1865 1877 jim crow era world war one world war ii great migration civil rights movement and black power movement okay to understand what happened to us after slavery ended and what were the laws and policies put in place uh to put us in the predicament we're in today to understand where we need to go from here because if you don't understand history you're not going to understand what's taking place today What's taking place today, the political violence, the voter suppression, all of this, this is a continuation of the Civil War and Reconstruction and what took what happened during the Jim Crow era. Uh, we have a bundle pack. You register for both classes for only $130. That's over $300 uh, value because there's some bonus content you'll get from me as well. So you can uh, click uh, register here for the bundle pack. And if you've taken any of my online classes in the past, email us and uh, you'll get 50% uh, off on the bundle pack also. Okay, so as soon as you register for the class, there's bonus content that you can start watching right now. All right. Okay, let's continue here. And I posted the link there. And also, here's the link to the uh, bundle pack as well. And we have the information at our uh, new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. All right. So if we look at this piece here dealing with uh, Great Britain paying reparations to uh, British slave owners, which is sounds really backwards, right? Fact check. United Kingdom finished paying off debts to slave owning families in 2015. This is by Matthew Brown for USA Today, June 30 of 2020. Um, and this dealt with there, there was a couple the couple articles that came out around that time. And it said that um, Great Britain had um, just paid off uh, British slave on or just paid off pay taxpayers back or something like that in 2015. Uh, the, the claim the, the UK government only just finished paying its debts to slave owners in 2015. Okay, this was the claim. Now, 
1833, Britain used 40% of its national budget to buy freedom for all slaves in the British Empire. Britain bargained, Britain borrowed, let's see how, okay, Britain borrowed such a large sum of money for the Slavery Abolition Act. It wasn't paid off until 2015. This was the post, this was a graphic post by the political activist uh, Raheem Kassam, okay? And uh, it says, in the United Kingdom, this dispute has centered on the country's imperial history and legacy of slavery. Okay, quote, this means that living British citizens helped pay for the end of the slave trade with their taxes. The graphic continues. This was a post on social media. The post had been shared at the time, June 2020, almost 20,000 times. Okay. So they're going through and fact checking this. Also, Your Black World. And I was the one that posted the article from yourblackworld.net. I posted it on our fan page, the African History Network, and it went viral. Okay. So I was the one that posted and made that article from Your Black World go viral because we have a million followers on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. The story is echoed in the article from Your Black World. Now, when the United Kingdom abolished slavery, here's what happened. When the United Kingdom abolished slavery, the government compensated slave owners for the value lost from freeing enslaved people. It is true the Bank of England only recently paid off these debts. Now, slavery and abolition in the British Empire. The British played an integral role in building the transatlantic slave trade. Okay, the British played an integral, integral role in, in building the transatlantic slave trade, which enabled chattel slavery, the brutal practice that defined most societies in the Atlantic world, Atlantic world. Quote, Portugal and Britain, the two most successful slave trading countries, accounting for about 70% of all Africans transported to the Americas. Britain dominated Britain was the most dominant between 1640 and 1807 when the British slave trade was abolished. This is what the British National Archives found. So the international, so Great Britain ends its involvement in the international transatlantic slave trade in 1807. The U.S. abolishes the international transatlantic slave trade in 1808. And this is uh, these nations being involved in capturing Africans, going to Africa, capturing Africans, bringing them to importing them into the U.S. for the purpose of enslaving them. That was abolished. These European nations entered into they're going to enter into um, uh, international treaties to abolish the international transatlantic slave trade. But they're going to keep doing it anyway but it's now illegal. Okay. This is why the U uh, S Supreme court case of the uh, Amistad. Okay. 
that's why that U.S. Supreme Court case is so important. Okay, if you look at this piece from history.gov, official site of the History Channel, this deals with March 2nd, 1807. Uh, the U.S. about the U the U.S. Congress abolishes the African slave trade, national transatlantic slave trade. The U.S. the U.S. Congress uh, passes an act to prohibit the importation of slaves into any port or place within the jurisdiction of the United States. Okay, from any kingdom, place, or country. From any kingdom, place, or country. The first shipload of African captives to the British colonies in North America arrived in, it was actually Hampton, Virginia, August 20, 1619. But for, for most of the 17th century, European indentured servants were far more numerous in the North American British colonies than were enslaved Africans. However, after 1680, the flow of indentured servants sharply declined um leading to an explosion in african slave trade so it became harder uh for european uh indentured servants to to uh to come uh a lot of them didn't like the conditions they revolted but also 1680 is when you had bacon's rebellion uh well 16 was in back up 16 right around 1680 is when they introduced the term white 1675 1676 in the colony of virginia is when you have bacon's rebellion that was a rebellion by enslaved africans and european indentured servants who united because they realized they had a common enemy they were being exploited by the same people the, the wealthy the the one percent ten percent whatever it is and uh they united so that rebellion was um defeated but it's going to be after Bacon's rebellion that they start using the term white in these European colonies, these British colonies. Because before then, uh, like when the, the, when the, the British colonies start setting up, uh, the people who we call white, they were referred to as Englishmen or English or Christians. Okay. The term white is going to be introduced to break up the alliance between enslaved Africans and white indentured servants because they were in similar situations. I mean, it wasn't the same, but they were in similar situations. Okay. And that was designed to break up that alliance to tell the, the, the indentured servants who were being exploited by the same people exploiting the enslaved Africans and say, hey, no, you're you're on you're on our team. Okay, we're gonna exploit you for five to seven years, then we're gonna give you some land and give you some tools, maybe give you some money, you're gonna learn an apprenticeship, things like this. But no, you're not you're not with the Africans, you you're on our team. So the term white is going to be introduced into the British colonies right around 1680, 1681. And it's introduced to break up that alliance between the enslaved Africans and the white indentured servants because the white indentured servants were being exploited also. All right, by the, mid, by the middle of the 18th century, slavery could be found in all 
of the 13 colonies and was at the core of the Southern colonies agricultural economy. By the time of the American Revolution between Great Britain, 1775 to 1783, the English importers alone had brought some 3 million captives, uh, captive Africans to the Americas, not the United States of America, but the Americas, Caribbean, um, uh, Central America, uh, North America, the Americas. Okay, so read the rest of this here also. They talk about the cotton gin because the cotton gin is going to revolutionize uh, cotton industry. This is around the same time that you have the Industrial Revolution starting in the 1790s in Manchester, England. And the foundation of the uh, Industrial Revo Revolution in Manchester, England is the cotton crop. Okay, you have the invention of the cotton gin in 1793 which was a device that picked the seeds out of the cotton and made it much more efficient to produce cotton, which then lowered the cost of cotton, okay? And it made it more affordable to uh, produce cotton, made it more affordable to sell cotton and to sell cotton products, all right? So you have the cotton gin and you have copies of the cotton gin. The Haitian Revolution starts 1791, okay? The Louisiana Purchase is 1803 because the Haitians are beating the hell out of the French and uh, Napoleon and France are trying to raise money. So they sell all of the land that France has here in the uh, U.S. They sell that to uh, the U.S. for um, $15 million. Three, uh, um, it's... Uh, 828,000 square miles of land, okay? The, the Louisiana Purchase of 1803, which was signed by, signed off on by President uh, Thomas Jefferson. This is going to double the size, double the territory of the U.S., the Louisiana Purchase, okay? If we look at this here, and we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. Um... Uh, right here we look at this map here Louisiana purchase we see it in the green in the middle okay Louisiana purchase territory 1803 so the US gets all this land for about 15 million dollars doubles the territory of the US at the time and what it does is it increases the need for African slave labor to grow crops in this fertile area. So the U.S. carves out about 15 states out of this uh, area in the middle of what's now the U.S., out of that green area, which was Louisiana territory. The U.S. carves out about 15 uh, states out of that territory. And they try to keep a balance between free states and slaveholding states. The Louisiana Purchase of 1803 brought into the United States about 828,000 square miles of land, territory from France, thereby doubling the size of the Young, Young Republic. What was known as the Louisiana Territory stretched from the Mississippi River in the east to the Rocky Mountains in the west and from the Gulf of Mexico in the south to the Canadian border in the north. Part 
or all of 15 states were eventually created from the land deal, which is considered one of the most important achievements of Thomas Jefferson's presidency. Okay, history.com is a good piece on the Louisiana Purchase. All right, so all of this history is connected. All of this history is connected. And we have to, I can take you right through history, right up to today, and understand the laws and policies put in place today, going from the Mississippi State Convention of 1890, where they rewrote the Mississippi State Constitution to impose poll taxes and literacy tests. And Judge Solomon Saladin Calhoun, who was the presiding judge uh, over the over the um, the presiding judge over the uh, Mississippi State Convention, he said we came here to exclude the Negro because African Americans were the majority of the, of the population in Mississippi as a, as a legacy of slavery. And uh, you only uh, what thirty five years after slavery ended in 1890 uh 1890 frederick Douglass was still alive he didn't die in 1895 all right so they imposed poll taxes literacy tests and they also imposed felony disenfranchisement laws felony disenfranchisement laws okay and it became known as the mississippi plan um and and the voter suppression tactics that Mississippi used in 1890 became copied by all the other Southern states, South Carolina in 1895, Louisiana, 1898, Louisiana in 1898, when they rewrite their state constitution, they also uh, created, they created a grandfather clause, but they imposed prop, uh, uh, property ownership requirement as well to be able to vote. Okay. Um, Alabama, 1901, uh, you, you're going to have Georgia, North Carolina, things like this. The, the convention's president, Solomon Saladin Calhoun, a white county judge, put the voting issue bluntly. He said, let's tell the truth if it bursts the bottom of the universe. Let's tell the truth if it bursts the bottom of the universe. We came here to exclude the Negro." We came here to exclude the Negro. Nothing short of this will answer. Because African-Americans were the majority of the population. During Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, 2,000 African-American men became elected to public office, local office in U.S. Congress and Senate. And they are reversing the... Now, uh, Florida was the first state to have poll taxes in 1889. Then it comes to Mississippi, 1890. Delegates eventually adopted a literacy test and poll tax geared to suppress the black vote in a state with a black majority. And to, and to this day, Mississippi is the blackest state in the nation with 39% uh, of the population is African-American. That's as, as a legacy of slavery. To this day, Mississippi is still the blackest nation in this country and the poorest nation also, by the, the poorest state also, by the way. The Mississippi plan became the model throughout the South, part of a raft of racially oppressive Jim Crow laws that ended Reconstruction. Now, this happened after Reconstruction ended, but Reconstruction is going to end partly because of political violence. OK, and then also the, the also the Republicans get tired 
in intervening into the political violence in the South. Okay, the Republicans in the North, they get tired of intervening into that. And there's a declining desire to intervene on behalf of African-Americans. And then you have the Compromise of 1877 uh, to settle the 1876 presidential election. And Rutherford B. Hayes becomes the uh, president. He was a Republican nominee. He agrees to remove the remaining Union troops out of the South to allow the white supremacists, the, the Democrats, to take back full control of the state government and local government, things like this. This is, this is what ends Reconstruction, which was a period of time where we we're making a lot of advance, advancement, acquiring land, going to school, building businesses, getting elected to public office, all that, all that gets shut down. Okay, now, okay, let's go back to this one right here. This deals with Great Britain paying reparations to uh, British slave owners. Now, Britain was the most dominant between 1640 and 1807 in the transatlantic slave trade. In total, about 3.1 million Africans were transported to the British colonies across the Americas and the Caribbean, okay? Uh, about 3.1 million Africans transported to the British colonies. Though only 2.7 uh, million people survived the harrowing Middle Passage and the uh, in the co confines of slave ships across the ocean. Now, the uh, anti-slavery sentiment grew in the British in the Britain in Britain during the period with many British and African abolitionists agitating for an end to the slave trade and abolition of slavery an end to the international slave trade and the abolition of slavery in 1807 British Parliament passed the uh, slave trade act the slave trade act which outlawed the slave trade in the British Empire. Many, however, simply evaded its restrictions. Slave ships were regularly fitted out in British ports like uh, Liverpool or Bristol. In fact, until 1881, carrying slaving equipment like shackles was not considered proof of involvement in the slave trade. Marika Sherwood found in her 2007 work after abolition, Britain and the slave trade since 1807. British slavers and capital were still involved in the trading of African people to the plantations in major slave societies like Brazil. So Brazil doesn't abolish slavery till 1888. Cuba abolished slavery to 1880. Cuba abolished slavery in 1886. Okay, in the United States, uh, uh, for years after the slave trade's abolition, so 1865 with the ratification of the 13th Amendment, December 6, 1865. What's going to happen is that after after the Civil War. You're going to have between 8,000 to 20,000 uh, 
Southerners who leave the U.S. and they're going to go to uh, Cuba and Brazil because they didn't want to live under uh, Republican rule and they didn't want to live under a society where former slaves were being elected to public office and now making and now writing laws that they have to live by. Okay. And then what they're going to do is in some cases, they're going to take their slaves with them. In other cases, they're going to buy slaves in, um, uh, buy slaves in Brazil and Cuba because slavery was still legal there. Okay. This article right here, a lot of people don't know this history. See, this is part of the Juneteenth history. So when I do my presentations dealing with Juneteenth, this is some of the information that we deal with. And then when you take my online history class, we get this is just a sample of some of the stuff is, is, is we're dealing with Queen Elizabeth II. But that also connects to the history of Queen Elizabeth and Great Britain. That automatically connects to a lot of the information that I already teach in the class. But um, this article here, they lost the Civil War and fled to Brazil. This is from the Washington Post. Uh, this is from July 11th, 2020. Their descendants refused to take down the Confederate flag. This one right here. Okay, this history right here, a lot of people don't know about. And then you have some slave owners in Texas. When the news came through, um, General Order Number 3, uh, Major General Gordon Granger and about 2,000 Union troops in uh, June of 1865, and they go through all throughout Texas. They go through for almost a year delivering and enforcing General Order Number 3. You're going to have some slave owners who, instead of freeing their slaves, they're going to kill their slaves. There's about up to about 2,500 slaves were killed by their slave owners because they didn't want to free them. Free them. Uh, this right here. Let me look at it. I want to go to. Uh, right here, this section here, mass exodus. Let me scroll down. This part I want to go to. A mass exodus in search of land and slaves. A mass exodus in search of land and slaves. This is from page two of the article. Okay. The newspapers called it Brazilian fever. Brazilian fever. With the war lost, the Civil War. 1861, 1865, thousands of Southerners fearful of living under Northern rule among freed slaves, fearful of living under Northern rule among freed slaves. Thousands of Southerners were seeking other opportunities. Some pushed for Mexico, so some moved to Mexico. Others moved to Venezuela, but Brazil, which would not abolish slavery, 
for another 23 years to be the most attractive of the countries. So you're going to have Southern slave owners who leave the United States after the Civil War ends because they didn't want to live under Northern rule by Republicans and be among free slaves. They're going to leave the country and they go to Cuba and especially Brazil, and they're going to buy slaves there. They took some of some of their own with them. Emperor Dom, Pe Dom Pedro II, a fierce advocate of the South during the war, tried to induce their immigration, immigration of these Southern white people, offering tr free transport, cheap land, and an easy path to citizen, uh, an easy path to citizenship. Before long, Southerners sailed out from New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama for Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Eventually, between 8,000 to 20,000 Southern whites are going to leave the U.S. and go to um, Brazil, between 8,000 to 20,000. Uh, okay, so read the rest of that article. Running out of time here. They lost the Civil War and fled to Brazil. Their descendants refused to take down the Confederate flag. July 11, 2020, Washington Post. All right, now. Let's continue here. Let's go back to this piece on. I'm going to go back to this piece on um, reparations being paid to 46,000 British slave owners. Okay, in 1834, the British government outlawed slavery in Great Britain and its American possessions though not in its Asian colonies, its Asian colonies such as British India and what would become Sri Lanka. The British government also paid 20 million pounds, the equivalent to about 17 billion pounds today, to compensate slave owners for the lost capital associated with freeing slaves. This payout was a massive 40% of the government's budget and required many bonds, B-O-N-D-S, to slave owners to effectuate the law. So they, so they paid reparations to 46,000 slave owners, but not to the 800,000 Africans who, who were enslaved. The, these obligations to slave owners and institutions are the debts that were paid off by the, the United Kingdom government only in 2015. They only finished paying off these debts in 2015. Compensating slave owners after abolition. This section here, compensating, compensating slave owners after abolition. The United Kingdom Treasury continued to compensate 
the descendants of slave owners for decades after the abolition of slavery in the in the empire the payments were not scrutinized until the british treasury tweeted out the historical fact in 2018 the tweet read quote the amount of money borrowed for the slavery abolition act was so large that it wasn't paid off until 2015. It was so large, it wasn't paid off until 2015. Now, Great Britain ended slavery altogether in 1834. It took them till 2015 to pay off all the debt that was owed for paying reparations to the slave owners. The tweet was right, widely criticized at the time with many outraged that current British tax dollars were compensating the descendants of slave owners. The tweet was widely criticized at the time with many outraged that current British tax dollars were compensating the descendants of slave owners. The Treasury, the United Kingdom Treasury later deleted the tweet. While the British government has not disclosed a complete list of recipient individuals and firms of and firms of bonds related to compensation of slaves, researchers at uh, University of College at University College London have compiled a list of over 46,000 current individuals and groups who have received government payouts related to the abolition of slavery, over 46,000 current individuals and groups. Many powerful British families, including current business and political elites in the United Kingdom, are among the recipients uncovered by the University College London team. Now, they're still not talking about paying reparations to African nations and the Caribbean nations. Yet now all recipients were already wealthy or, be, or became so due to payouts, blah, blah, blah. Read the rest of that. So the Washington Post, their fact checkers say that the statement, the premise statement was true. The British government only paid off its obligations to former slave owning families and organizations in 2015 this is from 1834 when they abolished slavery for good and actually abolished slavery not just the international transatlantic transatlantic slave trade not just bringing africans into british territories but having slaves they abolished that in 1834 when this fact gained public attention it turned into a major controversy in the United Kingdom, which has since been reignited by international reckoning over anti-black racism and social justice. We at the USA Today rate this claim true because it is supported by our own research. So check, check out this piece here. So they pay reparations to 46,000, at least 46,000 individuals and organizations. 
for, for slavery is about 800,000 Africans enslaved. Okay, now. Um, we have seen. We have seen articles dealing with um, like this one right here. This deals with when David Cameron went to Jamaica, uh, UK Prime Minister David Cameron, when he went to Jamaica in 2015. This one right here. Jamaica should move on from painful legacy of slavery, David Cameron says. The Jamaicans want reparations and they want uh, an official apology for slavery. He didn't even want to talk about it. Now, Queen Elizabeth could have put out an official statement and apologized for slavery and she could have pushed, she doesn't, control parliament but she has influence she could have she could have exerted her influence to push for reparations but she didn't do that this article right here this is from a few years ago this is from the guardian.com this article is from September 30th, 20, 2015. September 30th, 2015. Jamaica should move on from painful legacy of slavery, says David Cameron, who was the prime British prime minister at the time. Here he is meeting with Jamaicans. Jamaica was a colony of Great, uh, of Great Britain. Great Britain took over Jamaica in 1655 from the Spanish. They fought the Spanish and uh, won and got Great Britain. David Cameron has called for Jamaica and the United Kingdom to quote unquote, move on from the deep wounds caused by slavery, move on from the deep wounds caused by slavery, but ducked, official calls for Great Britain to apologize for its role or to pay reparations. Speaking to the Caribbean's uh, Caribbean country's parliament, the prime minister struck a defiant note as he spoke of his pride that Great Britain had played a part in abolishing the abhorrent slave trade without highlighting its historic involvement in the transfer of slaves from West Africa and ownership of slaves in the Caribbean. About 3.1 million that they transport from Africa to the Americas. He called for two countries, the, the two countries, Great Britain and Jamaica, to move on from this painful legacy and continue to build for the future. Well, David Cameron and Queen Elizabeth II and wherever you are, Queen Elizabeth II and the royal family, it's easy to move on 
when you have something to move with. It's easy to move on when you have something to move with. Queen Elizabeth is worth about $500 million. And the, the, the British monarchy is worth um, about $28 billion. So you have them with wealth built on the back of Africans and India and Indians and Asians talking about move on from slavery and Jamaica devastated and other and African nations are devastated. And you're talking about move on. You haven't, you haven't even admitted what you've done. So it's, it's easy to move on when you have something to move with. If you look at this piece right here from, this is calm. Wondering how high Queen Elizabeth's, Elizabeth II's net worth was before she passed. Wonder no longer. They just updated this today. Because I checked it earlier today and it wasn't updated. Okay, so let's look at this here. Her, according to Forbes, okay, now they talk about her personal net worth. She's worth about 500 million. According to Forbes magazine, the, the British crown through, through the firm, which actually goes by the actual name Monarchy PLC, Monarchy PLC. The, 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 the British crown holds nearly $28 billion in assets. A quick tally of its various assets, the Crown Estates holds $19.5 Buckingham Palace is worth an estimated $4.9 The Duchy of Cornwall, $1.3 billion. The Duchy of Lancaster holds 70, uh, $748 million. Kensington Palace has an estimated worth of $630, $630 million. And the Crown Estate, Scotland, Holds five hundred and ninety-two million. They talk about her personal net worth, which is about. Do they list it here? They listed it here before. It's about five hundred million dollars. Okay, she left the estimated fortune of about seventy million pounds. Let me see some here. I mean, I have it, but she's she's worth an estimated five hundred million. They may, they may not have it here. There's some other sources you can check this out. Now we know where they got the money from. Now, now where they now we know where they got the money from. They colonized Africa. They colonized the Caribbean. They colonized India. All right, now I want to go back to this article here. This deals with them not paying reparations to uh, Jamaica.
Hold on, where is this? Okay. Okay, this one right here. Okay, so at the time back in 2015, David Cameron, Prime Minister of Great Britain, called on the two countries to move on from this painful legacy and continue to build for the future. It's just so painful to talk about. We don't want to talk about it. It's just so painful. Let's just move on. Let's just be buddies. Let bygones be bygones. His trade trip to Jamaica, the first for 14 years by a United Kingdom prime minister, has been overshadowed by the issue of slavery. David Cameron was warmly received by a military band playing God Save the Queen on, a, on arrival at the airport and received a hug from uh, the country's prime minister, Portia, Portia Simpson Miller. However, during the trip, high-profile politicians and campaigners drew attention to a distant relative of David Cameron's General Sir James Duff, who was compensated for losing 202 Jamaican slaves in 1833 when Great Britain abolished the transatlantic slave, Great Britain abolished slavery, but paid reparations to 46,000 British slave owners. And David Cameron's distant relative was one of those colonizers, colonizers, one of those slave owners who got reparations. And David Cameron didn't even want to issue an apology for slavery to the Jamaicans. He has also been pressed, David Cameron at the time, has also been, been pressed to atone for slavery personally and on behalf of the United Kingdom by Bert Samuels, a member of the National Reparations Commission, and uh, Portia Simpson Miller publicly raised the issue of compensation after their bilateral talks. Now, in response to this political ass-whooping that David Cameron got, he initially did not address the issue of reparations or an apology telling the United Kingdom media he was in the country to talk about trade and the future, where Africans were the trade of the past that you use to help build a future. Africans were the trade of the past that you use to help build a future. But speaking to the national parliament in Kingston, Jamaica, he made clear the United Kingdom wanted to draw a line under the legacy of slavery. He said, quote, while there is indeed much to celebrate about our past, it would be wrong to do so while ignoring the most painful, painful aspects of it. A period which should never be forgotten. A period which should never be forgotten and from which history has drawn the bitterest of lessons. Quote, slavery was and is abhorrent in all its forms. It has no place whatsoever in a civilized society. 
and Britain is proud to have eventually led its the way in its abolition. Quote, that the Caribbean has emerged from the long shadow it cast is testament to the resilience and spirit of his people. I acknowledge that these wounds run very deep indeed. It runs deeper in the Africans than in your ass. You all were compensated. It runs deeper for the Africans throughout the Caribbean, throughout the, con the continent of Africa. I mean, let's, okay, let's just be honest. What wounds does England have because of slavery? Okay, let's just be honest. What wounds does England have right now because of slavery? Where? What wounds? Show them to me. What wounds? You're sitting on billions. What wounds do you have? I acknowledge that these wounds run very deep indeed, but I do hope that as friends who have gone through so much together since those darkest of times, we can move on from this painful legacy and continue to build for the future. Friends, that's how you treat your friends? Build for the future. It's easy to build when you have something to build with. David Cameron and Queen Elizabeth and Prince Harry and King Charles III. It's easy to build when you have something to build with. David Cameron said his reason for wanting to come to Jamaica was because of the need to strengthen the bonds between the UK and the Caribbean. Well, you can start by apologizing for slavery. I mean, you can start there. So this is, this was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, 2015, September 30, 2015. Things haven't been better since then because none of them have apologized for slavery. Haven't, don't even want to talk about reparations. Now, we, we remember Barbados separated from Great Britain. Rightfully so. Jamaica is preparing a petition that they haven't already submitted it to demand reparations. Uh, okay, so remember this one right here from um, Barbados. This is NBC News. This is from November 2021. We remember uh, they had a ceremony at night and uh, Rihanna was made a national hero of Barbados. Barbados cuts ties with Queen Elizabeth II becomes a republic in a dazzling ceremony. We all remember when this happened and, and we covered it here on the African History Network show. In his speech, Prince Charles said the creation of the Republic offers a new beginning for the former British colony, while his mother sent the islander 
the island her warmest good wishes. This is from November 29th, 2021. It's updated today, September 8th, 2022. Almost 400 years after the first English ship arrived on its golden shores, the former British colony of Barbados woke up Tuesday as a republic. The tiny Caribbean nation removed Queen Elizabeth II as its head of state in a particular, in a spectacular ceremony that began uh, late Monday, breaking its ties with the British royal family and with it, one of the island's last remaining imperial bonds to the United Kingdom. The event was held 55 years to the day since Barbados gained uh, full independence, but kept the monarch in the ceremonial role, but kept the monarch in the ceremonial role. At the strike of midnight local time, the new republic was born to the cheers of local crowds. Okay, now, okay, here's Rihanna. And let's see here. Prince Charles, the heir of the British throne, was in attendance as Barbados celebrated ending its formal formal links with his 95-year-old mother. Elizabeth is queen of 15 other realms, including the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, and Jamaica. So they have part of uh, Prince Charles's uh, speech here. Quote, from the darkest days of our past and the appalling atrocity of slavery, appalling atrocity of slavery, which forever stains our history, people of this island forged their path with extraordinary fortitude, he said. Now, he didn't apologize for slavery either. He just admitted it was an atrocity, an appalling atrocity. His presence may single the royal family's desire to maintain strong bonds with the island, which will remain in the Commonwealth, a voluntary association of 54 states that includes many former British colonies and which the queen has championed throughout her life. Okay, read the rest of this here. Okay, so read this one here. Now, there was a good uh, there was a good segment on, and then also I'll show you this article here. This is from Reuters.com. This deals with Jamaica planning to seek uh, reparations. Plans to seek reparations from Britain over slavery. All right, how's everybody doing? We'll be here for a few more minutes. I have a I have a a, a great clip that I want to play. This is from Tiffany Cross's show, The Cross Connection. She had my she had my friend on, historian Dr. Uh, Kwame Hassan Jeffries, who's a nephew, one of my teachers, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. And um, she had a brother from Jamaica on. They were talking about reparations for Jamaica. 
but I want to I want to go to this okay here. This is Reuters. This is what I want right here. Okay. Jamaica plans to seek reparations from Britain over slavery. Okay, everybody watching, do me a favor, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook, be sure to click the like button, follow us on Facebook, turn on live notifications so you know when we go live, okay? And uh, uh, on YouTube, turn on live notifications so you know when we go live there on YouTube as well, all right? How do you all like this type of information? Let me know. Post here on the thread of the broadcast. Okay. Jamaica plans to seek reparations for uh, from Britain over slavery. Jamaica plans to seek reparations from Britain over slavery. And this article is from July 12, uh, 2021. This is Reuters.com. Okay, now this picture right here, they're throwing the statue of a colonizer into the water. The statue of 17th century slave trader Edward Colston, look his name up, Edward Colston, falls into the water after protesters pulled it down and pushed into the docks during a protest against racial inequality in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Okay. This, uh, this incident took place June 7th, 2020 in Bristol, Britain. Cause the George, the, the George Floyd movement we saw go around the world, but this inspired people in England. Okay. This inspired people in England. This is part inspired people in Britain. This inspired them to knock down, tear down remnants of slavery. Now, Jamaica plans to uh, ask Britain for compensation for the transatlantic slave trade in the former British colony. A senior government official under a petition, uh, a senior government, government official said under a petition that could seek billions of pounds in reparations. Jamaica was a center of the transatlantic slave trade with the with the Spanish first with the Spanish conquered by Christopher Columbus in 1494 first with the Spanish then the British who take it over in 1655 forcibly transporting Africans to work on plantations of sugar sugarcane bananas and other crops that created fortunes for many of their owners we are hoping for repertory justice in all forms that one could expect if they are to really ensure that we get justice from injustices to repair the damages that our ancestors experienced, said Olivia Grange, Grange, Minister of Sports, Youth and Culture. She told this to Reuters. Now, 
Uh, she said, our ancestors were forcibly removed from their home and suffered unparalleled atrocities in Africa to carry out forced labor to the benefit of the British Empire. Redress is well overdue. Redress is well overdue. Now, an estimated 600,000 Africans were shipped to toil in Jamaica, according to the National Library of Jamaica. Approximately 600,000 Africans were taken into, uh, were shipped to Jamaica as slaves to toil in Jamaica on behalf of uh, the British royal crown. Seized from Spain by the English in 1655, Jamaica was a British colony until it became independent in 1962 the west indian country of almost three million people is part of the commonwealth and the british monarch remains head of state britain prohibited trade and slaves in its empire in 1807 but did not formally abolish the practice of slavery until 1834. now to compensate slave owners the british government took out a 20 million dollar a 20 million pound loan and a, a very large sum at the time and only finished paying it off the only finished paying off the ensuing interest payments in 2015 as we already stated the reparations petition is based on a private motion by jamaican lawmaker mike henry who said it was worth some 7.6 billion pounds, a sum he estimated is roughly equivalent to today's, uh, in today's terms, to what Britain paid to the slaveholders. Okay, so read the rest of this here. All right. Okay, so check that out. That's from uh, Reuters.com. Uh, name of this article, Jamaica plans to seek reparations from Britain over slavery. Jamaica plans to seek reparations from Britain over slavery. All right, check that one out. Okay, I'm going to go to this clip here in just a second. I have to cue this up. All right, hey, if you all like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, stay afloat, expand, do some other things that we need to do. Um, and then we have the information on the homepage of our website. Also, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, we have uh, PayPal information. And also, uh, this is our only cash app account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network uh, cash app accounts have been 
so there's some fake accounts out there. there's about five of them identified that are stealing money from us so you can click right there on the cash app link and it gives you the um it gives you the barcode okay let me cue this uh i want to cue this uh clip up here this is a really good discussion dealing with uh reparations and uh jamaica reparations and jamaica okay let me cue this so this is from tiffany cross's show the uh cross connection msnbc it comes on uh saturdays 10 a.m to 12 noon i watch it every weekend i know some of the people who are panelists on the show those that don't know i'm on roland martin unfiltered every friday i'll be on tomorrow actually roland martin unfiltered i'm a panelist i do political analysis and provide historical analysis and, and political analysis um so you can watch it on facebook and youtube at uh, roland s martin on facebook and youtube and then i'll also download the uh black star media app uh as well to your to your devices and you can watch it uh monday through friday 6 p.m to 8 p.m eastern standard Okay, can y'all hear that? Okay, can y'all hear that? Hold on. Let's start off from the beginning. From the crown. I think the chances are slim to none if you're talking about money direct. Jeffries, editor of Dr. Hassan Kwame, now is historian Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, editor of Understanding and Teaching the Civil Rights Movement, and Henry Bonsu, journalist and freelance broadcaster based in London. Gentlemen, I'm very excited to have discussion, this discussion. Very happy to have you with me. Henry, I want to start with you because I think a lot of folks in America assume that Black Americans were the only enslaved people. They're like social media movement that are very uh, anti-immigrant when it comes to other black folks. But the diaspora has been largely impacted uh, by Europe, uh, quite frankly. Given the atrocities that uh, the UK brought upon black people who were enslaved, what are the chances that Jamaicans will see any kind of reparations from the crown? I think the chances are slim to none if you're talking about money directly from the British government going directly to the Jamaican government in reparations for slavery, anything like the 10.6 or so billion dollars that were quoted. Why? Well, listen to what David Cameron said when he was in Jamaica five, six years ago. He said, let's move on as friends. Let's um, accept that something awful happened, but we are now the best of friends, we're partners, and we will try and develop together. We'll try and put this behind us. Um, Boris Johnson, the current prime minister, is a celebrant of all things empire. He's urged the British people to, yes, acknowledge the evil that went on, but 
consider Britain to be a benign power in the world, a force for good. When it comes to slavery, that was an awful thing that happened over there in the Americas. It was appalling, just like what happened to George Floyd was, was appalling. But Britain helped to end slavery. Britain was not the great enslaver. Of course, those of us in uh, the African and Caribbean communities, the activists who hold reparations marches every year, we would beg to differ, and quite strongly. Uh, not only do you beg to differ, history does. I mean, Hassan, uh, Britain, uh, during the slave trade between 1640 and 1807, uh, it's estim estimated that Britain transported 3.1 million Africans uh, to the Caribbean, to North America, and to South America. So given this latest global uh, discussion around reparations, um, what impact could this have on the reparations debate right here in this country? Well, the reparations debate needs to be a global debate because the transatlantic slavery was just that. Uh, it was a global commerce, a global trade in human beings. That's how the hell we got here, Tiffany. Uh, it wasn't That's by right. accident. Uh, it was on the, the ships of enslavers. Uh, and so it needs to be a global debate. African-Americans should not just focus on sort of reparations solely for the descendants of enslaved people in the Americas. Certainly there's an American component, there's an American responsibility, uh, but there is a British component, there is a French component. We can't understand the current economies of the Caribbean, we can't understand the current economies and political situations on the continent of Africa, or even for us as African-Americans, without underputting it into a global context as it connects to the transatlantic slave trade. So, very good point. And I mean, look, we could talk about this all day. Um, but Henry, because this is originating, this is a fight between Jamaica and the UK. I'm curious because this is not the first time uh, this uh, reparations debate came about in 2015. You already talked about David Cameron's response at the time, very consistent with other UK leaders. But I do feel like there is a shift in the conversation happening right now. You mentioned George Floyd um, in, in the English city of Bristol. People toppled uh, a, a statue there of a former enslaver. Can the people in Britain, uh, the descendants of the enslaved in Britain, rise up. And, and I should make this point for our viewers. The folks who are enslaved in Britain, um, they, they didn't start out there. You know, they, they came there uh, to Africa, so um, or, or from Africa, rather. Is it possible that the folks in Britain can aid this fight? Well, just as there were huge numbers of British people in the 18th century who mobilized, who petitioned, who supported politicians in the House of Commons and showed that they thought what was happening in the Caribbean was appalling, was immoral and unchristian. Now we're seeing people, since the death of George Floyd, looking at receipts, they're putting huge pressure on major companies that made millions, if not billions, out of the transatlantic slave trade, like Lloyd's of London, like the universities of Oxford, Cambridge, Glasgow, like the great museums, like the thousands of houses and historical stately homes in London, in Bristol, in Liverpool, that um, denote their wealth and their heritage from the transatlantic slave trade. And we're seeing people picketing now wealthy Tory MPs who are the distant relatives of uh, slavers, of planters. And this is not going away. And as a result of the pressure, we're seeing uh, museums being named so, and also business centers like the Cass Museum, the Jeffrey Museum, the posters, all the slave traders who made huge amounts of money off the backs of enslaved and murdered Africans 300 or so years ago, left major endowments, but now people are saying, right, we've seen the receipts, we think you need to pay. If the British government doesn't want to, we can target you companies and landowners individually, and we're not going to let you get away with it. That pressure is going to tell. It's not going away.
Well, I, I do just want to read a statement that we did get from uh, the UK. We asked the British government about Jamaica's pending request. A spokesman for the Foreign uh, Commonwealth and Development Office said there is no disputing the horrors of what occurred during the slave trade in the colonial period. While we acknowledge that the wounds uh, run very deep, we believe that the most effective way for the UK today to respond to the cruelty of the past is to ensure that current and future generations do not forget what happened and to address modern day slavery and racism. Um, Hassan, that's quite oh, the word yeah. salad that doesn't really say anything. <laughs> I hear you, Henry. Uh, Hassan, let, let me ask you the, the frustration. And I trust me, Henry, I echo your frustration. Um, the nerve, you know, the caucasity of, of that statement. Uh, when we set our eyes on the world and look at how systemic white supremacy is still impacting all of us. If you could, if you're able, even what's happening in Haiti is a direct result of what came out of Europe. Um, what, what's your thought on their statement and, and the landscape that we see today? Well, let's let's remember that the British government uh, just finished paying off enslavers, uh, compensating them. You know, for 181 years uh, they they've been paying former enslavers and the descendants of enslavers uh, following uh, emancipation, following the abolition of slavery. Uh, and, and, and we see the same thing in Haiti, the French government forcing uh, the Haitian government uh, for more than a century uh, to pay compensation uh, for their own freedom uh, that has led to uh, the current uh, uh, destabilization uh, in, the, in, in the nation as a whole. So, I mean, the idea that the British government or, or any uh, former uh, nation that supported uh, enslavement would say, hey, let's, it's good enough just to remember, while at the same time uh, that, that, that they have been extracting and paying a former enslavement is, is just patently absurd as well as hypocritical. All right. So that was from, that was from the Cross Connection, uh, Tiffany Cross's show. Uh, great, great interview there. With uh, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, who's a nephew of one of my teachers, Dr. Linda Jeffries. And uh, she spoke with him. He's a uh, associate professor of history at Ohio State University. I've interviewed him here before on the African History Network show. And then um, she uh, also spoke to the brother uh, Henry, I think was his name, uh, as well. Okay. the They talked about the um, Haiti uh paying reparations to france we've talked i did a whole broadcast about that in the research that came out from the new york times also uh in the past a few months ago in 1825 haiti paid france 21 billion dollars to preserve its independence time for france to pay it back okay this article is from okay that's from 2017 okay but there was another uh, there's another uh, article from uh, there was research that the New York Times did and okay this is I think one of the 17 okay this is right here let's see here the ransom the roots of Haiti's misery uh reparations to enslavers so they've got that excuse me they've got that and let's see what else do they have 
Okay, I did a, uh, it was about an hour and a half broadcast I did a few months ago dealing with this. In 1791, enslaved Haitians did the seemingly, seemingly impossible. They ousted their French masters and founded a nation. So this was the Haitian Revolution, 1791 to 1803. But France made generations of Haitians pay for their freedom in cash. France made generations of Haitians pay for, for their freedom in cash. How much has remained, how much has remained a mystery, how much they had to pay has remained a mystery until now. The New York Times scoured centuries old documents to find the answer. The ransom, the root of Haiti's misery reparations to enslavers now this is from uh, may 20th 2022 updated may 26 2022 so when this came out i did a, a couple of broadcasts dealing with this we went deep into this information um okay so they have this information here you can look at this and then there was uh oh they dealt with the financing the bank the eiffel tower this right here the bank that benefited most from a from an 1875 loan to haiti was credit industrial et commercial a french institution that helped finance the eiffel tower um let's see here let me back up But for generations after independence, Haitians were forced to pay the descendants of their former slave masters, including the Empress of Brazil, the son-in-law of the Russian Emperor Nicholas I, Germany's last uh, Germany's last Emperor Chancellor, Imperial Chancellor, and, Gast and Gaston de Galifet, the French uh, general known as the Butcher of the commune for crushing an insurrection in Paris in 1871. The burdens continued well into the 20th century. The wealth Miss Present's ancestors coaxed from the ground brought wild, brought wild profits for a French bank, a French bank that helped finance the Eiffel Tower, credit industrial et commercial and its investors they controlled haiti's treasury from paris france for decades and the bank eventually became part of one of europe's largest financial conglomerates haiti's riches lured lured wall street here in the u.s to delivering big margins for the institution that ultimately became Citigroup bank Haiti's riches lured Wall Street to delivering big margins for the institution that ultimately became Citigroup Bank. Citigroup. It elbowed out the French and helped spur the American invasion of Haiti around 1915 or so. One of the longest military occupations in United States history. Read so read this. This goes deep into why Haiti's in the economic condition they're in today. 
okay and this deals with colonialism this deals with just straight skullduggery white supremacy theft okay and corporate greed okay all that is tied into that all right uh okay let me just make sure because we get oh this article right here from uh huffington post this was a good one we talked about this on the show so i went through my archives because i have i literally have thousands of articles archived thousands of articles printed things like that so i spent uh, a couple of, uh spent a couple uh um hours today preparing the content for this broadcast going through my archives pulling together this information so have you all learned anything today have you all learned anything from this broadcast let me see this one right here this article here i want to pull up jamaican leaders oh before i get to that one i got to show you this one right here this deals with sierra leone okay i've got to show you this one um Jamaica's forgotten people who were deported to Sierra Leone in the 1800s. And would this article come up? Let's try to pull this one up here. Okay, when Sierra Leone was colonized in 1787, was the home of freed slaves brought in from overpopulated London, London, England. So we have songs, we teach our children songs, London Bridges Falling Down. I don't know if they still teach that to kids. London Bridges Falling Down. And I think they still teach their kids. Yeah, London Bridge is falling down because uh, I think my daughter knows that song. Okay, so all this stuff ties back to England. Jamaica's forgotten people who were deported to Sierra Leone in the 1800s. This is from June 12, 2018 for uh, Africa.com by uh, Induta uh, Waru. When Sierra Leone was colonized in West Africa in 1787, it was home. It was the home of freed slaves brought in from overpopulated London. They were living in modern day Freetown, Sierra Leone, after an agreement between the British and the Tim, the uh, uh, Tim people of the region. At around the same time, the British, who had already taken over Jamaica from the Spaniards, they take over Jamaica in 1655, were gearing up for the second Maroon War with the Jamaican Maroons. These are uh, runaway slaves who set up their own uh, encampment, set up their own communities, and they're fighting uh, against uh, the, uh, the British like a uh, queen nanny in the Jamaican Maroons 
uh, the Jamaican Maroons were the descendants of freed African slaves. They had run away from the Spaniards when the British arrived with more troops. Some of them lived in the uh, Trelawney town where they were required to submit to a white superintendent. They refused and even expelled the superintendent assigned to them. Okay, so uh, the Maroons decided to fight. They killed, okay. Um, okay, so read this article also. More than 800 Maroons arrived in Freetown uh, in September 1800. Upon their arrival, they set up a new settlement in Freetown. Their survival and safety were assured after the British abolished slavery in 1807. Over the next few years, more freed slaves arrived at the town from all over the world. However, not all Jamaicans were satisfied with their stay in Sierra Leone. They packed their bags in the 1840s and went back home to work in the plantations due to the increased need for labor now that slavery was banned. The people who remained merged with the Creole community in Freetown. They built uh, the St. John's Maroon Church in 1822 and brought in music and culture, including the famous Creole culture, K-R-I-O, Creole culture. So read the rest of this article here, face-to-faceafrica.com. Jamaica's forgotten people who were uh, deported to Sierra Leone in the 1800s, okay? Uh, and then lastly, this article here and anything else, we'll have to do a separate broadcast tomorrow because I'm way over time. Um, this one here from the Huffington Post. Watch this. I went, uh, they went on the trip, they went on the trip, uh, in 2021. Prince Harry, uh, uh, Prince William, and Kate Middleton. They visited some of the countries in the Commonwealth that are sub that, that are uh, Commonwealth countries subjects of uh, the uh, Great Britain. Jamaican leader shunned Prince William. Kate Middleton visit demand slavery reparations. I said, go ahead, brothers and sisters, go ahead. This is from March 22nd, 2022. They were saying, we don't want you coming down here visiting. We want an official apology for slavery and we want reparations. A group of 100 well-known figures accused the British royal family of perpetuating the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. That's what I'm talking about. That's what should have been, that's what they should have been talking about on MSNBC today and CNN and all that, okay? I don't know where the hell they got, you know, you know, they had presidential historians and things like this. No, you need to talk about the real history of Great Britain. Dozens of well-known leaders in Jamaica, including professors and politicians, are demanding an apology and slavery reparations as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge prepare for a trip to the former British colony of Jamaica. Now, this was in March because they were going through uh, they were going through different countries and it was celebrating um, Queen Elizabeth 70 years on on the throne. The group is rejecting the visit of Prince William and Kate Middleton scheduled for Tuesday part of a larger trip to the Caribbean region 
that coincides with the 60th anniversary of Jamaica's independence and the 70th, 70th anniversary of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Quote, we see no, this is what the Jamaicans said. We see no reason to celebrate 70 years of the ascension of your grandmother to the British throne because her leadership and that of her predecessors have perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. Now that, that should be in her obituary. That should be, and when the New York Times does her obituary, that should be in there. When, when they run headlines tomorrow, that should be in like the first paragraph. The Jamaicans said, we don't want to deal with all that. We want to deal with reparations. You all have committed the greatest. Do you all have Queen Elizabeth II and her predecessors have perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind? Read a letter published Sunday ahead of the couple's visit and signed by 100 Jamaican leaders. The week-long royal tour of Central America and the Caribbean that began on Saturday, keep in mind, this is March, 2022, was taken at the behest of, of, of the queen who is William's grandmother. The trip aims to strengthen Britain's ties with Commonwealth countries, those 55, 56 countries that are part of the Commonwealth, but it's the British Commonwealth, but it's off to a rocky start and comes as some countries consider cutting ties to the monarchy like the Eastern Caribbean island of Barbados did in November 2021. Yes, here's Prince William and Kate Middleton here. Okay. Local opposition forced the royal couple to cancel a visit to, uh, Kako, uh, to a Kako farm in Belize that was planned for Saturday while the upcoming trip to Jamaica has angered some who say they are still waiting for an apology and slavery reparations. Now, in all the stuff that I heard today on MSNBC, nobody said anything about an apology for slavery and reparations. All the footage they showed, all the people they interviewed, I'm sitting there like, what the hell are y'all talking about? Jamaican, Jamaica lawmaker Mike Henry, who has long led an effort to obtain reparations that he estimates at more than seven billion billion pounds, told the Associated Press in a phone interview that an apology is only the first step for what he described as, quote, abuse of human life and labor. An apology really admits that there is some guilt, he said. Now, hundreds of thousands of African slaves toiled in Jamaica under more than 300 years of British rule. It was 600,000. We look at the piece from uh, Reuters.com and estimated 600,000 Africans were shipped to Jamaica. That's over about a 300-year period of time. There were numerous bloody rebellions with one woman called Queen Nanny of the Jamaican Maroons leading a group of formerly enslaved Africans known as Jamaican Maroons whose guerrilla warfare became renowned 
and battered British forces. They beat the British so bad, they forced the British into a peace treaty and forced the British to give them land. That's how badly they beat the British. Okay? Rightfully, the British had to come, and rightfully so. Quote, Queen Nanny remains the sole, the sole, S-O-L-E, sole female of Jamaica's eight national heroes. She's a Jamaican national hero, Queen Nanny. Okay, during the two day, now this is what got me here. This is well, this is another thing that got me here, right? During their two day stay in Jamaica, Prince William and Kate are expected to celebrate Bob Marley's legacy, a move that also has riled some Jamaicans. How the hell are you going? You're going to celebrate Bob Marley's legacy? Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Bob Marley, who 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 wanted reparations. Who would act who would advocate for reparations today for for jamaica and you don't even want to talk about an apology for slavery and you're going to celebrate bob marley you're going to do smoke some weed you're going to celebrate bob marley's legacy the letter of those demanding an apology said quote as a rastafarian bob marley embodied advocacy and is recognized globally for the principles of human rights, equality, reparations, and repatriation, stated the letter of those demanding an apology. The groups, so how, now how is it that you are going to celebrate his legacy, but you, you're not exhibiting any of that? They may want some equal rights for people, but it's like, well, if you're not talking about reparations, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. The group said that it would be celebrating 60 years of freedom from Britain, adding that it is saddened, quote, that more progress has not been made given the burden of our colonial inheritance. We nonetheless celebrate the many achievements of great Jamaicans who rejected negative colonial self-concepts and who and who self-confidently succeeded against tremendous odds. We also remember and celebrate our freedom fighters, end quote. We also remember and celebrate our freedom fighters, end quote. And we should do the same. And we should do the same. So check out this article. Jamaican leaders shun Prince William, Kate Middleton, visit demand slavery reparations demand slavery reparations they would you don't need to come down here all those trumpets and all that stuff and carriages no 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 we we want to talk about reparations we want an apology for slavery we want reparations all that other stuff you can keep the pomp and circumstance you can have all that all all, all the trumpeter all the trumpeteers all that stuff and the, here comes the queen all the, you can have all that we, we, we don't want we don't want that no All right, everybody. Hopefully, y'all learned something. How how you doing, Ruby? Let's see who we have here. We got Fly Girl, Ruby, uh, Ernest, uh, all those. Okay, so if you like this type of information, if you learn anything, be sure to register for my online history classes. So this really help. This helps uh, support the African History Network. This helps us keep doing the research, pay the bills, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. 
uh have two new classes just started up uh we're doing a special session coming up uh this saturday september uh 10th because the class is normally going to be on thursdays uh we postponed the class that's going to be today uh so we're going to do that class saturday september 10th 2 p.m to um 4 p.m Eastern standard time is class number one class number one of ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school Okay, so we deal with thousands of years of history, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Some of the slides that I showed you uh, are actually slides from, from the classes I teach. I put together all this. I put together the curriculum. I put together all the slides, everything. Okay, I've been studying history for 30 years. Um, and you don't have to be present in the class. Okay, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch the class anytime. A year from now, two years from now, you can still go watch the entire class. Okay, you can do debit card, credit card, or PayPal. Click here, register here. If you want to do a uh, cash app, you can email us or send us the funds through cash app. Um, but you can email us through the website and let us know you want to do cash app also. Okay, uh, and then the class uh, is going to be on Tuesdays, the second class I teach, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. It's going to be Tuesdays, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Both classes on sale $80 each. You get the bundle pack for $130. And th what, th what you saw here, this is just a sample of the type of information you get in the class. We have over 50 articles in each class. We have book references, video clips. You don't have to buy any, any of the books you don't have to buy any of the books to follow along in class okay uh we uh it uh because we show you uh, like excerpts of the book so you don't have to buy any of the books to follow along in class but um yeah this class is going to blow you away okay both of them okay so next class is going to be uh saturday Number 10th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, look, I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered on uh, Friday. I'm a panelist on every Friday. Usually every Friday I do, uh, I'm one of the panelists. I provide political analysis and historical analysis also. Okay. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, uh, email me at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, also, you can uh, uh, email us right through the website as well, okay? ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. I think we have it here. Yep. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, or if you want me to teach a uh, online course for your group, your church, your study group, what have you, email me there as well, okay? And uh, African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. You can advertise with the African History Network also. A current promotion, buy one month, get one month free. Uh, email us um, uh, as well for that also, okay? All right, how you doing, fly girl? Uh, everyone, if you like, yep. If you like this type of information, uh, you can send a donation that helps us as well. And give us a thumbs up, give us a like, give us a heart on this broadcast also. And through PayPal, I know you can set up for recurring donations as well. So whatever you can do to support us, we definitely appreciate it. 
Okay, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace.